Section 64 of Reviews by Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reviews by Oscar Wilde. Edited by Robert Ross. Section 64. The Poet's Corner. Number 5. Pell-Mell Gazette. February 15, 1888. Mr. Haywood Salome seems to have thrilled the critics of the United States. From a collection of press notices prefixed to the volume, we learn that Putnam's Magazine has found in it the simplicity and grace of naked Grecian statues, and that Dr. Joseph G. Cogswell, LL.D., has declared that it will live to be appreciated as long as the English language endures. Remembering that prophecy is the most gratuitous form of error, we will not attempt to argue with Dr. Joseph G. Cogswell, LL.D., but will content ourselves with protesting against such a detestable expression as naked Grecian statues. If this be the literary style of the future, the English language will not endure very long. As for the poem itself, the best that one can say of it is that it is a triumph of conscientious industry. From an artistic point of view, it is a very commonplace production indeed, and we must protest against such blank verse as the following. From the hour I saw her first I was entranced or embosomed in a charmed world circumscribed by its proper circumambient atmosphere, herself its center and wide pervading spirit, the air all beauty of color held dissolved and tints distilled as dew are shed by heaven. Mr. Griffith's sonnets and other poems are very simple, which is a good thing, and very sentimental, which is a thing not quite so good. As a general rule, his verse is full of pretty echoes of other writers. But in one sonnet, he makes a distinct attempt to be original, and the result is extremely depressing. Earth wears her grandest robe by autumn spun, like some stout matron who of youth has run the course. It's the most dreadful simile we have ever come across even in poetry. Mr. Griffiths should beware of originality. Like beauty, it is a fatal gift. Imitators of Mr. Browning are, unfortunately, common enough but imitators of Mr. and Mrs. Browning combined are so very rare that we have read Mr. Francis Prevost's Fires of Greenwood with great interest. Here is a curious reproduction of the manner of Aurora Lee. But spring, that part at least our unchaste eyes infer from some wind-blown phylactery, it wears its breast bare also chestnut buds packed in white wool as though sent here from heaven, stretching wild stems to reach each climbing lark that shouts against the fading stars. And here is a copy of Mr. Browning's mannerisms. We do not like it quite so well. If another, save all bother, hold that perhaps loaves grow like parsnips, call the baker heaven's caretaker, Live, die, death may show him where the farce nips. Not I truly he may duly into church or church day shunt God, chink his pocket, win your locket, 
down we go together to confront God. Yet in spite of these ingenious caricatures, there are some good poems, or perhaps we should say some good passages, in Mr. Prevost's volume. The whitening of the thorn-tree, for instance, opens admirably, and is in some respects a rather remarkable story. We have no doubt that some day Mr. Prevost will be able to study the great masters without stealing from them. Mr. John Cameron Grant has christened himself England's Empire Poet, and, lest we should have any doubts upon the subject, tells us that he dare not lie, a statement which in a poet seems to show a great want of courage. Protection and paper unionism are the gods of Mr. Grant's idolatry, and his verse is full of such fine fallacies and masterly misrepresentations that he should be made laureate to the Primrose League at once, such a stanza as, Ask the ruined sugar-worker if he loves the foreign beet, rather one can hear him answer, would I see my children eat, is the thrill any Tory Tea Party in the provinces, and it would be difficult for the advocates of coercion to find a more appropriate or a more characteristic peroration for a stump speech than, We have not to do with justice. Right depends on point of view. The one question for our thought is, What's our neighbor going to do? The hymn to the Union Jack, also, would make a capital leaflet for distribution in boroughs where the science of heraldry is absolutely unknown. And the sonnet on Mr. Gladstone is sure to be popular with all who admire violence and vulgarity in literature. It is quite worthy of Thersites at his best. Mr. Evans' Caesar Borgia is a very tedious tragedy. Some of the passages are in the true Ercles vein, like the following. Caesar starting up. Help, Michelotto, help! Be gone, be gone! Fiends, torments, devils! Gandia! What? Gandia? Oh, turn those staring eyes away! See! See, he bleeds to death! Oh, fly! Who are those fiends that tug me by the throat? Oh! 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 Pauses. But as a rule... The style is of a more commonplace character. The other poems in the volume are comparatively harmless, though it is sad to find Shakespeare's Bacchus with Pink Ein reappearing as Pinky-Eyed Silenus. The Cross and the Grail is a collection of poems on the subject of temperance. Compared to real poetry, these verses are as water unto wine but no doubt this was the effect intended. The illustrations are quite dreadful, especially one of an angel appearing to a young man from Chicago who seems to be drinking brown sherry. Juvenile in Piccadilly and The Excellent Mystery are two fierce social satires, and, like most satires, they are the product of the corruption they pillory. The first is written on a very convenient principle, Blank spaces are left for the names of the victims, and these the reader can fill up as he wishes. Must blank bluster, blank give the lie, blank wear the night out, blank sneer, is an example of this anonymous method. It does not seem to us very effective. The excellent mystery is much better. It is full of clever epigrammatic lines, 
and its wit fully atones for its bitterness. It is hardly a poem to quote, but it is certainly a poem to read. The Chronicle of Mites is a mock heroic poem about the inhabitants of a decaying cheese, who speculate about the origin of their species, and hold learned discussions upon the meaning of evolution, and the gospel according to Darwin. This cheese epic is a rather unsavory production, and the style is at times so monstrous, and so realistic, that the author should be called the Gorgon Zola of Literature. 1. Salome by J. C. Haywood, published by Kagan Paul. 2. Sonnets and Other Poems by William Griffiths, published by Digby and Long. 3. Fires of Greenwood by Francis Prevost, published by Kagan Paul. 4. Van Cleen and Other Verses by John Cameron Grant, published by E. W. Allen. 5. Caesar Borgia by W. Evans, M. A., published by William Maxwell and Son. 6. The Cross and the Grail, published by the Women's Temperance Association, Chicago. 7. Juvenile in Piccadilly, by Oxionensis, published by Visitelli and Company. 8. The Excellent Mystery, a Matrimonial Satire, by Lord Pimlico, published by Visitelli and Company. 9. The Chronicle of Mites, by James Aitchison, published by Kagan Paul. End of section 64, The Poet's Corner, number 5.